With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. Seems like a long time since we last recorded one of these. I believe it was two weeks ago ahead of the NS Mura Europe Conference League clash. That was a night to forget there in Slovenia, but thankfully with uh, some positives to talk about in terms of Tottenham at the moment following the 3-0 win over Norwich. We'll also be looking ahead to Thursday's European clash against Rennes. We've also got a COVID outbreak to discuss now as well. So in the case of Tottenham Hotspur, there's always plenty of things to discuss. So joining me today as ever is Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you first of all? Yeah, still trying to get my head around everything that happens at Tottenham. There's a meme going around that I've seen of um, Antonio Conte. It's just like, it's that classic phrase, why can't Tottenham Hotspur ever be normal? (laughs) It's like, since our last podcast, we've had an embarrassment in Slovenia, um, a postponement at Burnley with the snow. We've had two victories, which everyone got all pumped up and excited about. And then we have a COVID outbreak at Tottenham Hotspur. It's like, come on, just got to have a normal week. To, I mean, hey, it's great for us as journalists. We get loads of different stuff to write and talk about. But it's just like you just get the sense of what next. Honestly, anything could happen at Tottenham Hotspur. You and I could settle down, put our laptops, close them for the day, our working days, and anything could happen in those hours afterwards. You know, it's just. What a club. What a club. Look, it's not their fault. <laughs> I must stress. Other than Slovenia. Slovenia was definitely their fault. That was absolutely horrific. But um, COVID outbreaks, unfortunately, they're just going to happen. Uh, I'm surprised, you know, it's probably taken this long. Um, uh, you know, at, uh, kind of Tottenham almost having their turn, aren't they, in a way? We've seen other clubs have it as well. Um, and obviously, I know we're going to talk about that during the... Uh, during this podcast, but we've got so much to talk about. It's incredible. It's uh, where, where do you want to start? I think we'll start with the win over Norwich. Uh, I think that's the best place to yeah. start from. Uh, following on from that win over Brentford in mid- midweek, a 3 0 win over Norwich, goals from Lucas Mora, an absolutely fantastic strike. Uh, Davinson Sanchez got his name on the score sheet, and then Son Hyung Min rounded off the scoring. Uh, to get an important three points and put Spurs within touching distance of that final Champions League place. And Spurs, crucially, do have that game in hand against Burnley. So if they win that, then they're in the top four. So whereas a few weeks ago, things weren't looking so good, things, you know, looking on the up at the moment under Antonio Conte. And I think everyone will be pleased with the win over Norwich. Yes, Norwich had some opportunities and I think probably if they were facing a better team then they might have been punished a bit more but I think that's a sign of a good team actually you know getting that job done holding out getting the uh, three goals to win the game so I think plenty of positives uh, to take I wasn't at the game on Sunday I've had 
uh, a week off, so you were there on your own, Ali. Uh, do you want to just discuss discuss the game then? What you saw first of all? Yeah, I mean, you've kind of nailed a lot of it there. I think Norwich Norwich had more of the possession marginally. I think it was something like they had fifty something percent. You know, it was marginal, but still, you know, you could argue surprising that a promoted team has come to. You know the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and they've they've had most of the possession, or, or sorry, more of the possession. What I would say, a lot of their possession was in their own half. They weren't particularly progressive with the ball. Um, you were quite right; their chances were good chances. You know, I, I think Spurs defence played well on the whole, but there were moments when they let Norwich in. And yes, any other club—not any other club—that's harsh, but clubs would have maybe a little bit more in form or with better attackers, however you want to see it, maybe would have put a couple of those chances away. But on the flip side, Tottenham, you know, going forward were very good. Um, I think they had 17 shots on goal, um, seven or eight on target as well. Um, they, You know, that side of their game is definitely improving. And as a spectator, that's just so much better to watch, you know. It's just, and I think we worry, you know, when I saw the team, I was like, oh, we've gone with the three again, you know, and it's like, where's that creativity coming from? But actually, you know, there's a lot of kind of faith in the wingbacks. There's a lot of faith, I think, now on Skip or Hoybier to take turns in, in getting up there and actually joining up. And a certain Ben Davies as well, who is proving to be, you know, I always come out with this stat from way back in the season when Danny Rose got injured um, in, the, in I think it was transfer deadline day in January that season, Ben Davies came in and that season Ben Davies finished the, the campaign having created more chances than any other defender in the Premier League. I think sometimes people forget that he can do it and now Conte's given him this brilliant role which absolutely suits him down to the ground. And he's involved, you know, his first few games, Conte, Davies was up there getting on the end of balls into the box and everything. And, you know, essentially on Sunday, he set up Sonny, didn't he, for the third. He flicked on the corner for um, Davinson Sanchez to eventually kind of whack in. He was he was terrific, Ben Davies. He really, really was. And, and I I had to ask Conte about him after the game. I did. It was the probably the most unusual first opening question he's ever had in a press conference. But to be fair, I wasn't expecting to go first. <laughs> you know, I'd put my hand up about fourth or fifth in the line of people, journalists to ask questions. And it was suddenly, and we'll start with Alistair Gold. I was like, oh man, I'm asking about Ben Davies. Which, you know, with no disrespect to Ben Davies, he's probably never, ever been <laughs> the first question in a press conference. Um, but to be fair, Conte was excellent. He's very good. He, he's not, he doesn't get tripped up by questions at all, Conte. He's very, very... Very good. I think it says a lot about his kind of thinking. I'm not going to say under pressure because, let's be honest, me asking a question isn't the greatest pressure he's ever going to have had in his life. But just in a press conference atmosphere, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same in a match scenario. And he just gave this great answer about how you know, he's similar to Aspilicueta, that kind of mould. That's what he wants. And he wants him to be um, an attacker slash centre-back. And he can fill in that gap at times up front and yeah, and it's great. And I'm really happy. I saw someone you call it on Twitter the Benaissance, like a Renaissance, but a Benaissance. Um, you know, he's a guy that gets a lot of flack. He gets a lot of criticism. He often becomes a scapegoat when a game doesn't go Tottenham's way, which I always think is so harsh. Ben Davies has played so like 
I think he's approaching 250 games for Tottenham Hotspur. He's given everything to the club over, like, what is it? He came at sort of... Seven oh, years now, I yeah, think. 2014, wasn't it? Yeah. And I just feel like of all the people, loads of people maybe get a free ride or they get an easy ride in that team when they've been dreadful. Ben Davies can make like one or two mistakes. And because he's a defender and it's more noticeable in the back line, absolutely gets slaughtered. And I just always feel that's been really unfair. And it's lovely to see him now playing really good football. And, and Conte said it himself. It absolutely fits the role like a glove. And, you know, he's playing really good football. And he said, this role, I will get the very best out of him. And, and you know... I have some Welsh fans getting a bit annoyed with me this week, telling me that he's played in a back three, you know, forever for, for Wales. And it's like, he, he has, and that's quite right. But having spoken to people that cover Wales and having watched Wales myself, it's a very different role. You know, with the Wales team, he very much sits there in a back three. It's a very much a traditional centre-back kind of thing. This is not that. A Conte left-sided centre-back in a back three is not the same. It's... Uh, You've essentially got to have the similar fitness levels to the wing backs. You've got to be super, super fit. So, uh, yeah. See, I even managed to turn this into a Ben Davies opener as well. But uh, honestly, I, I like to see players like Ben Davies get praise when they deserve it because otherwise they're just done. Yeah, same for me as well. I think, like you mentioned, the criticism he's probably got from some of the fan base before has been totally unfair. I think for me, he's a dependable player. Uh, He's been at the club, what, seven years now? And if he wasn't good enough, I don't think he still would be at the club. And the Eric same goes for... Yeah, and the same goes for Eric Dyer as well. He's been at the club since 2014. And if you're not a good player, you don't make upwards of 200 appearances for Tottenham, do you? So yeah. for me, yeah, it's really good to see him getting the praise at the moment. And I think the role is perfect for him because he defensively he's, he's good and... As you mentioned, uh, when he came in for Danny Rose, he was setting up a number of the chances. And I think for me, what a lot of people probably see is they've always wanted Regalon at left-back over the past two years because of his attacking threat. Well, last season, Regalon only got six assists. Davies got four, but there was a goal in there as well. And for someone who people might think is a defensively-minded left-back, I don't think four assists is, is bad at all to be honest and I think you're going to get uh, a few more assists this season given his new role very similar to when Sheffield United had those overlapping centre-backs the underlapping centre-backs at times we've already seen the Vitesse game Conte's first game in charge should have really scored before Uh, it was Kane or the own goal wasn't it Uh, he went down as an own goal for the third of the night Uh, following game against Everton as well, attacked well. So, yeah, we're starting to see him in a new role. I think it's bringing out the best of him. And people have always said when Conte come in, there's probably some unlikely figures who would shine. And Davis is certainly one of them. And he did, did he a... Did goal against Brentford as well? I think he did, didn't he? Because yeah. everyone thought he'd scored. I think it was in and around that area, wasn't he? I think it was Pontus yeah. Janssen headed it onto another Brentford player, but he was in and around there, and that everyone did go. Yeah, that everyone did go towards Davies. So, yeah, it's certainly having a big impact uh, yeah. in the final third at the moment. It's, uh, good to see. And long may it continue. I think someone else who deserves praise, Oliver Skip, again. <laughs> uh, I watched the Brentford game on Amazon and. 
absolutely fantastic. Deserved his Man of the Match award. He's he's just so good. I know he's one of these who probably splits the fan base, but he's just comfortable on the ball, does all the you know stuff so easily what he should. And he's probably one of these players that you perhaps don't notice because he just does things so well. I think we mentioned before, perhaps similar to Michael Carrick, someone who perhaps doesn't get the praise that he should have done during his career. Uh, for me, he's playing extremely well and uh, another man of the match award on Sunday against Norwich. Totally justified was that one, Ali? Oh, I'm not going to say no, am I? You know, you know my football <laughs> I, I just honestly, his improvement since he went off to Norwich last season, Norwich last season was an incredible trajectory, his development. And I'd actually say now, and he kind of admitted it himself in an interview on Sunday, that he's improving a lot this season as well. You can see it in his game and he's getting more and more confident. And I think if you're in that stadium, um, and this is not to do down anyone that's watching on TV streams, however they watch it. But I think, you know, it was interesting what you said about how he splits the fan base. I think he wouldn't, he doesn't split the crowd in the stadium. I think everyone in that stadium sees what he does. And maybe there's little moments like even on Sunday, he just pulled off this incredible tackle did this sliding tackle on one of the um, Norwich players where he kind of went in at pace along the floor, slid in, took the ball, but while sliding, contorted his body somehow to pass it behind him to a teammate. It was just, it was ridiculous. It was like, you know, if, I don't know, let's say uh, N'Golo Kante did that or someone like that, a match of the day would be playing that. They would be, it didn't matter that it moved, didn't come to anything after that. They would be playing that and saying, look at what this guy's doing. And I think... Skippy's getting to that point now where I think even those who maybe did the old classic cliche, he's just another Tom Carroll, Harry Winks, blah, 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 and players A, B, and C to this list. He's he's more than that for me. I think there's so much to his game. And what I loved about Sunday's performance was the fact that I asked Conte about him on Thursday night. And rather than just gush with praise for him, he actually said very much like, well, this is what I want from him. I want this, I want... I want him to kind of think a little bit more before he plays, when he gets the ball, what he's going to do next with it. And and he was very confident, like, I'm going to improve him. And he can be a top, top midfielder if he wants it. And, you know, he shows that desire that I believe he does. So for Skip to then listen to that, and then the next game get man of the match again, just says everything about him. It's like, yeah, I'll take on everything you want to tell me. I will learn from it and I will get better. And I'd actually say from an attacking sense, he did everything that Conte asked of him. He did that lung-busting run right at the start where if he just had a bit of a better shot on him, he probably would have, you know, well, at least would have bothered Krull. I think he had another shot as well late in the game. Then he played the, a really nicely weighted ball to Davies to set up Son for the third goal. He was just... Spurs look better with him in the team. And for a 21-year-old, that says a lot. And the amount of times that he wins the ball back and just gets them going quickly... Sometimes, and I think the Hoybier sometimes does this as well. And, you know, it's something that's been leveled at Winks before. Sometimes that first pass after they get the ball is one that doesn't progress an attack going the other way. Whereas Skip, I think, always looks to get the ball forward, which is why when people would say, oh, he's just another sideways pass, it didn't really make any sense to me because I don't think he is. Um, I think he's always, you know, he's someone that has played in more attacking roles as well during in his academy time. He's played everywhere. You know, he's played, I've seen him play at fullback, centre-back, defensive midfield. I've seen him play as a number 10 before. I think it was in a, like an EFL trophy game. He 
you know, he, he's got the ability to kind of have everything. And he was asked on Sunday about, you know, a potential England call-up. Is that something that, you know, he's kind of aiming for? And what I'd say, while he's, you know, he's not going to get in that England team anytime soon, but what I would say is with the close links that England have with the under-21s, and he is now a key leading figure in that under-21 side, I wouldn't be shocked if they have, say, I don't know, someone gets injured in the next England squad, that he gets called up and or a replacement or something like that. Maybe even just to have a look at him. I don't think if he can continue on this trajectory, which, let's be honest, is like that right now, I think he could get in there. Um, but, you know, it is early days, and I am getting very overexcited probably because, you know, but I would say he's he's played well. We've seen him play well against Man City. Um, he came on at the Emirates and was probably one of Spurs' best players on that day as well. Um, you know, he, he's not. it's not just games against like the likes of Norwich and Brentford with no disrespect intended to them, you know, promoted sides, but he, he's, he's just doing it against everyone. And I, I'm really excited about what he could do. If he stays injury-free, um, he could be some player for Spurs for years to come. Yeah, I think there's still so much more to come from him. And now when you've got a top quality manager in Antonio Conte, who was a very good midfielder in his day yeah. during Juventus, one honours galore uh, that he can take him up another level or two. Uh, certainly with that work on the training pitch, uh, I did actually speak to Alex Tete, who played with him at Norwich last season, interviewed him recently, gone to do a piece uh, on Football London about that uh, over the coming weeks. And, yeah, he he can't speak highly enough of Skip. Said some really really good things. So obviously, don't want to delve too much into that. But uh, yeah, there's some very good uh, stuff coming from Tete about Skip. Uh, shall we talk about another academy product now? Harry Kane still early one goal for the season in the Premier League. But I think the good thing is. There's chances there for him at the moment. There was against Norwich, had a couple of chances. I think the worry would be if it was, say, what it was, I don't know, five, six weeks ago when there was just no chances for him at all. He's in the positions at the moment. I think it's probably just a case of once he gets one in the, in the league, then hopefully he will be like he has been in years gone by where they'll just keep uh, coming and coming. And I thought he was unlucky with that chipped effort over Krull. Just had a bit more whip on it if you started out uh, aiming a few yards uh, the other way then yeah maybe would have gone in but it'll come for him at some point he's too good a player I think they're saying what form is temporary class is permanent yeah, yeah I think that applies now what did you make of his performance then on Sunday um, it's a funny one he's definitely the work rate is there he's trying hard he's you know he's running he's making himself available at times in this formation, you know, he is pulling back and letting the number two, number tens, as Conte called them, calls them get ahead of him. And then he'll try and create stuff. He's definitely hasn't got that little bit of, I don't know. It's like a little yard of pace that used to, I know he's never been the fastest player ever, but he always had that little yard that could take him past a player. He could drive towards the edge of the box. And that at the moment is maybe one thing that isn't there. Um, I'm sure that will come back, hopefully, with fitness and stuff. Um, he's almost like the opposite of Son at the moment, in that Son, I would say, some of his build-up play hasn't been as good as he can be. 
but he's still just incredible in terms of contributing in the final third. And, you know, again, another assist and goal um, at the weekend. Technically, you know, almost was another assist as well with the corner, but not quite. Um, and, and his goal was beautiful, Sonny's, as well. It was a lovely move. Um, but, yeah, whereas Kane is the flip side. He's maybe doing good stuff in the kind of the middle kind of area of the pitch and just as you're getting up to the box. But for some reason right now, one of the most clinical people in world football is not being clinical. It's really strange. And obviously even, you know, the Matt Doherty set him up, didn't he, for a chance late on or in the second half that he curled that shot, cruel push it wide, and obviously it led to the Sanchez uh, goal from that corner. But just, yeah, he's just not got his eye in at the moment. And I'd, I'd hope that when it comes to something like that, it's just a confidence thing. I think when the first goal comes, you hopefully will get a run of them. I know we've said that before, but I think that was kind of pre, pre-Conte, wasn't it? Um, and he just, I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh, but I think it's probably fair to say the cane that we're seeing now under Conte is different cane to what we had in the last few weeks of Nuno. Um Whatever the reasons for that, I, I don't know, and, and it's not for me to say. But I think we're seeing a player who does want to wants to play for Tottenham, and he wants to play for Conte. And I think now it's just a case of a striker looking to get his eye back in in front of goal, and hopefully that will come. That will come. Yeah. Have you got anything to say about Lucas? Obviously, he was on the score sheet. I know you do tend to like a bit of a rant about him. Uh, <laughs> no, that's. You're going to get all the Lucas lovers out there now. <laughs> no, Lucas was fantastic. The reason I didn't mention him there because I thought we were going to have a separate section on Lucas because I think he deserves his own little separate section because he was excellent. He was superb. He was that for me was one of his best games in a while. You know, Lucas is always going to give you everything. You know, we talk about Ben Davies giving everything. Lucas is the attacking equivalent. He gives you everything. Leaves it all out there on the pitch. And when he leaves the pitch, he's absolutely knackered because he's given everything he's got. Um, but he, on Sunday, we got the quality as well. And the quality was out. I mean, that goal, not the build-up was almost as good as the strike itself. You know, the, the touch around the defender, running around the opposite direction. Uh, the little touch from Son was lovely as well. And then, you know, just cuts in and just bang. Honestly, that's one of the best goals we've seen at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It just... It was like arrowed into it. It was like a rocket into that top left corner. It was beautiful to watch. It really, really was. And pretty much everything Lucas did came off on the day. He's he's always got these flicks, tricks, turns. He does that thing where he loves to kind of have the ball uh, with his back to goal and then he turns and gets away from his man and he does that. All of that came off on Sunday. It was brilliant. And I kind of made a point of saying that in my piece after the game. It was like, Brentford, I was a bit critical of him because his past success rate against Brentford was about 52%. It was very, very low. It was so much lower than anyone else on the pitch as well. Whereas on Sunday, it was up to, um, I think it was 80, might have been 86. It was high. It was really high. And it just showed, I think, the difference in the quality of his performance. He was so good. But yeah, my, my thing about Lucas, which has always been my thing, which people get annoyed at when I say, so I must admit, there was a little bit of a, oh, thank goodness someone else has said it, who's far more important than me. Conte said straight after the game, great goal. We need that more often, though. And that is the thing with Lucas. Lucas has got incredible talent. He is, what he can do with the ball, the pace he's got, 
his ability, kind of the low centre of gravity to get away from players, he should be scoring so many more goals. And I think Conte, this is a good thing about Conte, he doesn't mess around with his words. He doesn't. Like I said about the skip question, you know, in a generic press conference, someone would just say, oh, yes, he was fantastic today. I was very happy with him. Conte doesn't do that. He's like, yeah, he did well, but I want this, that, 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 this and that. And that's what he does straight away. And it's that's why he's a winner, because he demands more. Um, and with Lucas, he said, yeah, you know, we need a lot. I want to see a lot more of those goals from him this season. Not, you know, you're not going to get that quality of goal. But I think that's, even Lucas said it himself afterwards. He said, I'm not a killer like Harry Kane or Son Heung Min. And it's a bit like, no, he is what you'd call a great goal, sorry, a scorer of great goals rather than a great goal scorer. I think that's true. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't. You know, I looked up his stats after the game. It's something like 100, I think it's 116 Premier League games, and he scored 18 goals and an 11 assists, I think it was as well. He's so much better than those numbers. He really is. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of I had someone immediately say, oh, even in a really good moment, you've slated him. And there'd probably be people listening to this right now going, oh, yeah. But I'm like, I think... I think it's a, it's, it's a compliment to Lucas in a way because I think he's better than the numbers he produces. I think he's a very talented player. Um, and, you know, defences are, are scared. Defenders are scared stiff of him, honestly. You see Lucas running at you. You don't know which way he's going to go. You don't know anything. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there can be much more from Lucas Mora. And, yeah, he's 29 now. So he's at that age where he really should be absolutely hitting his peak. Um, and, yeah. Hopefully, Conte will improve him as well. And we'll see far more goals and assists. I think, you know, he gets probably the bulk of his goals and assists in cup competitions, maybe. I think he's got a better strike rate in those competitions in terms of per game. Um, there's no reason he can't bring that into the Premier League because I want to see more of what we saw on Sunday. More. <laughs> I didn't actually mean that. I was saying that. I was like, ooh, that sounds really funny. Um, yeah, I want to see more of that. Yeah, he's, he's got all the qualities in his locker. As you said, he's just yeah. getting it out of him. And that's just been the case since he's been at the club. He can produce some magical moments. He did that on Sunday. He did that in the Champions League semi-final. It's just what's frustrating with him. And we've said it time and time again. He can go past a couple of people then he'll run into the third one and lose the ball. But for an attack... Yeah, for an attack... Yeah, for a, an attacking player, his stats need to be better and everyone's pointed that out. But under Conte, you know, a lot of players will kick on under him and fingers crossed Lucas will be another one. Then someone else who we'll talk about now is Hugo Lloris and his contract situation. As it stands, Hugo's out of contract at Tottenham in 2022, so... Be entering the final six months of his contract very soon. When was the last one he signed? Was it 2016? 20... Yeah, ago. yeah, long, long time ago since he signed it. And I know a lot of people are always going on about potential incomings and outgoings at the club in January and in the summer. I think what Spurs also need to look at is the current contract situation because as it stands. Larice isn't the only goalkeeper out of contracts in the summer. I think they all are. Uh, obviously, Galini's on loan and Spurs have an option uh, to buy him if they wish. And then Brandon Austin, Alfie Whiteman out of contract in 2022. But 
suppose with the young players, you usually have that option, don't they? Where they can extend it for uh, another year, as uh, Cameron Carter Vickers knows. <laughs> that just seems to get extended every year, that contract. <laughs> it's been on loads. Yeah, yeah. It's been on loads so many times, but. Uh, you reported on Monday, uh, Larice, in terms of the contracts that they're looking at extending it beyond the end of the season now. Yeah, I mean, how, how, how has it been allowed to happen? Larice has probably been one of Spurs' most consistent players. He's their most decorated player. He's one of those few, like a rarity in the Tottenham Hotspur squad. He's a winner. This guy has won the greatest prize in football and they're allowing him just to kind of trundle towards the end of his contract with, let's be honest, no real six... This is really harsh on Galini, but I think it's more down to the fact that we haven't really seen him proven yet. But they haven't got someone who we definitely know, or they definitely know, is of a similar standard of quality to Lloris. And this is what I just find it bewildering. And I think, from everything I've been told, I think Conte's kind of come in and thought exactly the same. I think Conte's come in and he's being a bit like, this guy is top, one of the top keepers in the world. Why? Why is he about to walk out the door? And from next month, can talk to clubs about a free transfer in the summer. He can agree a deal for the summer next month. Um, it's I find it bewildering because... You know, from what I understand, he hasn't been offered a suitable contract of any real kind of real worth to him or, or kind of that was worthy of him since that contract in 2016. So that's five years. And this is the guy that's gone away and won the World Cup and, and hasn't been really remunerated for that level within the squad. And he's the captain. You know, at the end of this contract, current contract, he'll have been at the club for almost a decade, 10 years and it's like, I know, I think what's happened is Tottenham had this um, policy of not really giving long contracts to players over 30. It was always, a bit like Chelsea do, I think, as well, a year with an option for another year. That's what they always would offer. And they weren't, I don't think they were big, big money contracts. That got broken with Toby Adeverald and Moussa Sissoko. And if I'm Daniel Levy, I'm probably looking at it and saying, well, you all told me to give them big contracts. And then they, we had to flog them off for like this nominal fee just to try and get rid of them and get them off the wage bill. So they clearly have been burned. But what I would say is, this is Hugo Lloris. This is different. This is goalkeepers alone are a special case. But I think Hugo Lloris is an even more special one because I actually think, weirdly, since that elbow injury against Brighton, when he kind of had those months off to reset, recharge, whatever you want to call it in his career, I think he's come out a better keeper. I think he's been more consistent for Tottenham since then. You know, it could be some people could say maybe it's because he isn't having to do the footwork, the uh, you know, the kicking that Poch had him doing in his last year or so. Maybe I don't know, but I, I, for me, you've got a top keeper who's probably got I'd say three, four years maybe left. It may be longer. He's in great physical shape. Um, why would you waste money that you need elsewhere in the squad? in signing another goalkeeper. Because, let's be honest, to get the required quality to replace Lloris, like for like, you're spending a lot of money. You know, Galini's come in, and I think Galini hopefully will get, he'll eventually maybe get the chance to prove that he could be the successor. But I don't think Hugo Lloris needs to be succeeded yet. <laughs> it's too early. You know, I think you're talking another couple of years down the line. But yes, 
if Galini would be willing to stay, and I don't, I'm trying to remember, I don't think the fee's a lot. I think you're talking something like 14 to 16 million, maybe less. I don't think it was a lot. If Galini is happy to then come and fight it out as the number two, then great. I think that situation then is there and, and sign Loris up. He deserves a good contract. Um, Conte wants him to say, Conte rates him really highly. I think there's a feeling within the club from some people in the club that maybe Loris has been a bit underappreciated. Um, you know, there's maybe he's has deserved a better contract in recent years, which never was forthcoming. Um, and yeah, and, and I don't believe there's actually a formal offer on the table yet, but I think Conte has certainly had a few words with Loris about staying. Um, club are hopeful that he will stay. You know, he's spoken about going back to France to kind of play out his final years before. Uh, there's been MLS links, but what I would say, I don't think these are his final years. Honestly, he's one of those goalkeepers, because of the shape he's in, I think he could be playing into his 40s. You know, he could go back to France and play in his 40s, I think, absolutely fine. Um, yeah, honestly, get him signed up, Tottenham. I, I really don't understand why we're at this scenario and stage we're at right now. It's crazy. Yeah, still, he's 34 at the moment, turns 35 on Boxing Day. And yeah. in terms of goalkeepers, there seems to go on, they can go on forever. Obviously, Brad Friedel, former Tottenham player, he went on until, was it late 30s, early 40s maybe? Yeah. Uh, Gianluigi Buffon still playing in Italy for Parma yeah. at the moment and he's early, early 40s so for me I know a lot of clubs as you said like Chelsea did give out a one year contract I think Arsenal were the same but then brought that to give Willian a was it a three year deal and that didn't turn out well at all I think yeah. for Spurs and this one you've got to give Lloris uh, a couple of years I think there's still plenty more in him and I agree with you, what you've said about his form. I think prior to lockdown and the season before that, 2018-19, there were some high-profile errors in games. I think Liverpool won in the last minute. That was a notable one, wasn't it? But for me, since lockdown, he's, he's just really kicked on. There's just consistency. Uh, there's not been, I can't really remember any, high-profile errors since lockdown, really. You don't have to worry about him. I think that's the no. biggest thing. You know he's the first name on a team sheet and you don't have to worry about him. Yeah. And the worry, if he was go, you need to replace another leader in your team and that's something Spurs yeah. lack a lot of anyway and that everyone respects him. Everyone rates him incredibly highly. I think it's an absolute no-brainer in terms of offering him another deal and then just, you know, going from there. But I think what Spurs do need to do is look to find this long-term successor. Because for me, what I've seen of Galini so far, I don't think he's the long-term successor. But obviously Galini needs more game time and he can prove people wrong. So, yeah, that's one we'll have to uh, keep an eye on. We've discussed quite a bit about Norwich so far so we'll, uh, about 35 minutes uh, yeah we'll go on to the Covid outbreak now as I'm sure everyone's probably waiting for this as we reported on Football.London on Monday night there has been a Covid outbreak at the club uh, a number of players uh, and coaching staff have tested positive for Covid I think they were off lateral flow tests weren't they now they're yeah. going to do uh, PCR tests as it stands, question marks over the upcoming games against Wren on Thursday and then Brighton against Sunday. Uh, UEFA rules 
date for the competition. Uh, I think basically a match would only be in jeopardy if there's less than 13 players on your A-list or no registered goalkeeper available. We've gone over uh, UA rules before in terms of squad, so we don't want to get too much into that. <laughs> but you do have 25 players on a A-list, so for the match to be cancelled or moved to another day, it would have to really be a serious outbreak, wouldn't it, at the club for that to uh, be cancelled. But as things stand, as we reported on Football London last night, uh, we understand Tottenham will be able to fulfil that fixture on Thursday night. That's as things stand, obviously. Things can change over the coming days, but hopefully the match will be able to uh, take place. And as you said, this, it's just Tottenham, isn't it? Yeah, you have a win against Norwich, thinking all positives, and then this COVID COVID outbreak happens. More positives, just not the kind. We're yeah, yeah. For. yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's it is it, it it's it's just rubbish. It really, is. like we said, you know, it, it was probably. I think all clubs are unfortunately going to go through this at some stage. Um. And, you know, I've, I've seen people talking on Twitter about, oh, you know, they should all be vaccinated everything. There's no indication they're not. It, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get it. It just means that hopefully symptoms will be reduced and you won't have to be hospitalised. Um, but, yeah, it's obviously, yeah, we found out last night, reported on it. Um, it's a large group of players and um, coaching staff as well. I think they've had another, well, they have, I know they've had another positive result today as well. Um, now it's a case of, like we just said, getting PCR tests to kind of back it up because, yes, you know, they had those two players earlier in the season that um, were positive lateral flows and then did two PCR tests that were both negative after that. So, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed some of those are false positives, but obviously it's difficult. When you, when you get an outbreak, it, it's all about then containing it and trying to stop its spread and, and obviously, just like in normal life, there will be certain players that may have had it recently um, who then have the antibodies, the immune system will will not allow it in and they'll be absolutely fine. It may be that, you know, it's such a, it's such a weird, it's such a difficult thing to report on as well because even like, you know, on social media, I see people going, tell us the names, tell us who it is. And it's a bit like, this is medical stuff. This is it's so different. You know, it's very much down to the individual whether they want to have that released or not. You know, we saw obviously Brentford, Ivan Tony um, tested positive the other day, and, and he's clearly had no issue with that coming out that he's positive. Not every person or player is like that. Some people like that sort of stuff to remain private. Um, and, and, you know, what it does to this week ahead, we're kind of going to have to f wait and see. Like you said, the rules make it very difficult for the Ren match to be called off. There would have to be such a huge outbreak across the entire squad for that to happen. Um, and, you know, I was also looking into the UEFA rules as well, and there was, there was other stuff about all group stage matches have to be played by the 31st. I think it was the, so the 30th or 31st of December. So if it were if they were to get more cases in the next couple of days, then... There is there's a window for them to play the game in again at some point. But like I say, you know, less than 13 players registered on your A-list. That's 
you'd have to lose what are you talking about 22 no sorry 12 players yeah there have to be 12 players off of that list um which as it currently stands i'm told that's not how many are out of the first team players you know involved um so that match would have to take a place and then obviously brighton at the weekend which you know you and i'll be making our way to or hope to be making our way to um i think the premier league it's a little bit different us um i think it's less than 14 players but also there's they kind of look at it as a case by case basis if you'll pardon the expression you know it's it's more like um they will decide whether there's dangers of it spreading whether if the game goes ahead is there uh is there a fear that it could spread other players could get it and that that's kind of how they look at it i don't know why you away from premier league look at it in different ways shock horror different governing bodies look at things in completely different ways who'd have thought um so yeah so what team we'll see against red on thursday night if that does go ahead who knows um you know all these people desperate to find out what, who the names are you're probably going to know on thursday night if that game goes ahead um and on sunday you know brighton ironically have got injuries galore they've got nine players potentially out first team players out of sunday's game it would probably benefit Brighton to also have this game off at the weekend. It's not to say that they're going to be cynical or try and get it off or whatever, but in a weird way, both teams are going to be pretty weakened um, if you know if this situation continues for Tottenham. It's it's such a weird thing to kind of even talk about and contemplate in football. It's something we've never had to deal with before as reporters, as you know, the club staff, oh, for the admin staff having to deal with it and. and not only keep within the regulations, the government guidance and everything, but also try to keep within league rules and regulations, which, let's be honest, are being almost made up on the spot, aren't they? They're having to change it. Even the rules that were in last season are now slightly different. They're kind of constantly moulding them and changing them. Um, I, I, I don't know how they – I really don't know how they do it. It's um, – yeah, it's a weird week. It's Tottenham Hotspur. It really is. It's just strange things can happen when – there's an expression some Spurs fans always use is like, we're not allowed to have nice things. And I think that is, it seems to be the case. It was such a positive mood as, as early as yesterday afternoon. Everyone's like, you know, Conte getting love at the stadium. Everyone's singing his name. He's like, it's such a good place. The club seemed to be moving forward. And then bang, fate says, nah, you're all right. We're just going to trip you over for, a, well, 10 days at least. And who knows, obviously, who else could then get in, infected as the, as the week goes on? It's, oh, yeah, nightmare. It is a nightmare. Intensive. I just want to add a bit of context. It could be far worse. I don't, you know, we need to put this out there very clearly. There's a lot of people that have had COVID and have terrible, terrible things happen, you know, um, awful symptoms, complications, death and everything. We are, of course, I don't want to be grandstanding and saying that this is the worst thing in the world right now because a lot of people affected by COVID horrific stuff even you know losing a job stuff like that so yes i must stress we're not talking about that kind of level of it's it's just a utter pain in the backside is probably the way to put it in, in terms of football in terms of the brighton game on sunday uh what we saw 12 months ago is we've seen a few uh premier league games postponed in the past because of covid uh, Man City had the game at Everton uh, postponed. I think that was last December. And I think quite a few were stating at the time, why is that not being played when if the 
potentially just had a couple of cases and you do have a 25-man squad for a reason. So why can't you use all of those players to play? And then we also had uh, Tottenham versus Fulham last year. What got called off? I mean, what was that? A couple of hours before kickoff. I think everyone was just waiting around for an answer from the Premier League to find out what was going to happen. And Jose Mourinho, who was manager at the time, I think he put a picture on Instagram, didn't he? He was sitting around watching Sky Sports News with the rest of the coaching staff and the players. No one had a clue what was happening until that was, you know, cancelled a couple of hours ahead of the game. And uh, if the game... A little bit of breaking news, say breaking news, Spurs have just told us that uh, the press conference tomorrow will be held over Zoom. As a, as a precaution, we're not uh, we're not being able to be in person at Hotspur Way, which is is understandable. You know, I'm not going to march up to Hotspur Way and start banging on the windows, shouting "Let me in, let me in." <laughs> I get it, and I probably would have done exactly the same thing in this uh, position as well. Um, but yeah, that kind of shows you they're really trying to to tighten up. Um, what's going on at Hotspur Way? Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. If Sunday's game against Brighton is to be postponed, then hopefully it does come in good time because a lot of people will be making the trip to the South Coast and we don't want another game postponed 50 minutes before kickoff, as was the case at Burnley after you made, what was it, five hour trip in the car? <laughs> Thanks Something for reminding like that. me. I'll try to my head the. Uh, 11 and a half hour round trip I did with a little toilet break in the middle. Yeah. Not in my car. I should stress. I did. I just got, I got out of my car as you saw me walk into Turf Moor. Yeah. We don't want another postponement because it's already going to be out fitting in the Burnley game at some point, given all, all the games coming up uh, in 2022. So we'll uh, discuss the Ren game quickly. Obviously, like we've said yeah what we can hopefully that does uh, go ahead and hopefully this isn't the final game on the uh, the road to Tirana because Spurs could potentially uh, crash out of the competition with Vitesse level on points but two behind them in terms of goal difference Vitesse have Ennis Mura at home and I think everyone will expect them to win. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Rens approach the game. Obviously, they're through the top of the group, uh, so they can't go uh, down the position. So they potentially could, you know, rest the number of the players and concentrate on their upcoming league game. Or, you know, they might want the scalp of Tottenham. They might want to uh, collect all three points at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and you know, top that group uh, with quite a bit of a bit of a points gap. So yeah, it's got to be really interesting. Obviously, we don't know who is going to be available, who isn't. In terms of your thinking for the Tottenham team against Wren, <laughs> I mean, if everyone if everyone's fit, <laughs> well, no that's probably the most difficult question you've asked me ever in the history of these or the short history of these podcasts. We don't know. We don't know. This is the yeah. problem. By the time, you know, what was it eight o'clock kickoff Thursday night? Who knows who's available? It's so everything is just such in such a limbo. Um, it's so bizarre. We could have players that we assumed would be out may suddenly be back in contention if tests have proved otherwise. Could have players that we assumed would be okay to play who suddenly can't 
because of a positive test. Um, you know, we can definitely say Ryan Sessegnon won't be playing because he's suspended. That's about the one person we can say. Um, oh, man, it's, you know, and this is the, the strange thing as well. Like you say, is Wren, they don't really need to give much of a fuss about the game. You know, they really don't. They're, they're already through and there's no, no getting them off the top spot either. For Spurs, it's a bit of a shootout against Vitesse. Um, it's, yeah, we don't know. Is, is, is it, we don't know what makeup this team is going to have on um, on Thursday or if the game goes ahead. I think it probably will. And it's going to be one of the strangest games that we've kind of had to report on because, yeah, we're going to be re- obviously have to report on who's there, who's not there. We have to report on the different kind of ways the game can go and the group can go, what that then means because of this extra playoff round if they were to go through. Um, yeah, Europa Conference League. <laughs> Who thought the, the newly the inaugural third tier club competition European football was actually going to be as complicated as it's ended up being for Tottenham? Um, to be fair, a lot of it of their own doing. You know, they they could have been in a they really should have been in a situation where they probably could have forfeited Thursday night's match and not had to worry about it. <laughs> but they've managed to. You know, oh, it is such a can't win competition because people expect them to win and there's no glory in doing so. And if they crash out, then everyone's going to go, ah, losers, because, you know, you lost in the third tier competition. It's it's a, it's, it's going to be a strange night if it goes ahead. It really is. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the team sheet on Thursday because the UEFA ones usually get the formation. So, I mean, well, we could have like Harry Kane at centre back, potentially Eric Dyer up front. Who knows? He, he who knows be, uh... what players? Who knows if they're yeah. going to be available? Who knows? You know, who knows if we're going to end up with a, a bunch of, uh, you know, unfamiliar names? Could we have familiar yeah. names? It's oh, honestly, it's it's all this is a trouble now. It's very much we, we like to report on facts. That's what we try to do. We really do. And we try and back up everything with source after source. Thursday night, after guesswork at the moment. It really is. It's incredible. But what you do have in terms of uh, the European squads, it's not just an A-list. You have a B-list as well. So 25 players on your A-list and then however many on your B-list, what's normally the academy players or if they're under the age of 21. So for instance, say... If there's going to be a number, say like, I don't know, six, seven, eight missing off your A-list, then you have players off your B-list who can come in and uh, take a place in the team. So, I mean, it could potentially be like what it was for those uh, European games, the away ones, when Nuno was manager. We could have a, a very youthful bench or we could have a very youthful start in 11. So no, it's going to be really interesting. Tomorrow, if they do as they're meant to, there's meant to be open training on live streamed, isn't there, as part of yes. the local regulations. So people could find out quite quickly. But then again, like I say, who knows? On the morning of the match, you could get more people unavailable. It's just what a mess. What a mess. It's it's a it's a strange new world we're living in. Right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham. Uh, I'm not sure when the next one will be. Hopefully Monday. Hopefully we'll have two games to talk about. If not, I don't know what we're going to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will still talk. We'll be here. We will. We'll be. Yeah. We've. Um, we should stress that it was. 
it was just an aberration not having one last week. We will be back to being regular. It was just unfortunate to timings of matches, days off, um, Robert Guest having a week off as well. And uh, But we will. We'll be back to normal. And um, whatever happens, I'm sure it's Tottenham Hot, so we'll have plenty to talk about. Yes, we will. So, as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.